This is IVP. If you're the kind of person who loves the stories behind the stories, check out the Every Voice Now podcast, which features the often unknown publishing journeys of authors of color. If you're a writer of color or you care about writers of color, you'll be so inspired by these stories and you'll appreciate the words written by these authors all the more. The Every Voice Now podcast is an InterVarsity Press production. Visit everyvoicenow.com or listen wherever you get your podcasts. It's the most wonderful time of the year. If you hear that phrase, then you know immediately what people are talking about. It is the Christmas season. I don't know when your Christmas season starts, before Halloween, after Halloween, seems like every year it moves up. But for a lot of people, it's filled with memories and nostalgia. And there's really been this entire culture around Christmas that's built up. It's not just one day, it's an entire season. And it has to do with food and music, and not least of which, television and movies. This series is called I'm Dreaming of a Not White Christmas. You know that old song, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. I'm Dreaming of a Not White Christmas. And we're gonna look at the Christmas season and Christmas culture through the lens of race and gender and class and hear and see some of the messages that may be overt or covert, implicit or explicit in the Christmas culture that so many of us enjoy. And you are in for a treat because we're gonna be guided on this journey by one of the industry leading experts Dr. Nancy Wong Yoon. What's up? Oh my goodness, Jamar. This is going to be so exciting. We are going to be talking about Christmas. We're going to get all into the feels, right? Because there are a lot of emotions surrounding Christmas. And also talk about how Christmases are are different for different groups of people, both in representation, but also in our experiences of this holiday that is beyond the birth of Jesus, which I think has, you know, in the culture really is auxiliary to what people think of as Christmas. I think people also equate Christmas with American. Mm. And by default, unfortunately, whiteness, right? And that's why it's so important for us to talk about how we don't want a white Christmas only because we are not white. Surprise. <laughs> and we celebrate <laughs> Christmas. We celebrate Christmas too. That's so. right. Very important. Very important. So this is a four-part mini-series, part of the Disruptors podcast, and we're going to be looking at a variety of topics within and around Christmas. As we get going, we both think it's important to just pause and take note that holidays and especially Christmas have different connotations for different people. We'll be looking especially at sort of the pop culture kind of context around Christmas, but we know that each of you, you have your own family histories, your own personal stories. And for some people, the Christmas season might even be painful. And we just want to be aware of that. We want to say that we acknowledge that and we are trying to be sensitive to that. Um, at the same time, we know that there's a big culture around Christmas that for many people, it's their favorite season. And so it's gonna kind of, I think, hit people in different ways. So 
feel free to take your time and listen to this series, to pause, to reflect, to do whatever you have to do as we talk about I'm Dreaming of a Not-White Christmas. Now, Nancy, I am an interloper, or (laughs) to put it more positively, I'm an invited guest on your show. You've been the host of this podcast series. And so for those who have been engaging, they already know you, but for those who are just now tuning in, maybe especially because of this mini-series, tell us a little bit about your professional and educational background and interests. I am a sociologist, which means I study everything. <laughs> so I pretty much, uh, and I'm I'm a specifically a sociologist of pop culture, of film and television, of the Hollywood industry, and of race and other identities that are represented and missing and misrepresented. And those are the things I'm interested in personally and professionally. So I've written a book called Real Inequality, Hollywood Actors and Racism. And I've done a lot of studies of people of color and Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in television and film. I'm just so excited to be able to talk about Christmas because I think Christmas has so many things associated with it that I think are ripe for critical analysis, Mm. but we're not doing a war on Christmas or anything (laughs) like that. In fact, I think we, uh, we both, well, personally, I both love and uh, hate Christmas. Mm. I mean, there are these emotions that are very, very deep. And every year I get really actually depressed around Christmas. And that has to do with my childhood, which we'll talk about our own kind of experiences of Christmas growing up, and then trying to find where is the faith element, right, in Christmas? Because I think sometimes it's really hard to find given all the movies, all the kind of Christmas industrial complex, which, you know, is the kind of capitalistic manifestation of Christmas equals material things, right? I think this will be a really fun and also thought-provoking miniseries. And I'm just so excited to be able to talk to Dr. Jamar Tisby, who is uh, also an expert in his own right. So Dr. Tisby, tell us about you. Right. Well, you know, I'm a historian and my interest is specifically in race, religion, and social movements. So especially around the race and religion aspect of Christmas, I'm very interested in presentations of the Christmas holiday, the season. And I'm just a lover and a consumer of pop culture. We both are. So as you said, this isn't a war on Christmas. We really both appreciate and enjoy pop culture in a variety of different forms, and especially around this holiday Christmas season. But what I'm looking at are, you know, representations of race, some of the history that has led us to where we are in terms of this kind of Christian industrial complex. In terms of my other endeavors, I'm a professor at Simmons College of Kentucky in Louisville. I have also been the co-founder of The Witness, a Black Christian collective, as well as The Witness Foundation. And I'm the author of a couple of books. The first one is The Color of Compromise, The Truth About the American Church's Complicity in Racism. I've also written How to Fight Racism, both the adult version and a young reader's version, 
working slowly on <laughs> my next book, uh, which is another historical survey about Christian resistance to racism in the United States. And what I love about this series, to bring it back, is it arises organically out of many of the conversations you and I have had, Nancy, again, as appreciators of pop culture, but also looking at racial and gender and class representations in it. So as we dive in to sort of set the stage, I can imagine some people are like, um, can't we just enjoy Christmas? <laughs> like We don't need to think about these heavy topics around race and whatnot. Why do you think it's important for us to look at the Christmas season in terms of representation and diversity? I think that Christmas is the perfect, not metaphor, but really symbol of what it means to be American, what it means to be Christian, what it means to be part of a culture that is usually coded white, right? And yet I feel like as Christians of color, we are very much consumers and celebrants of Christmas as we should. But, you know, when you're excluded from the cultural representations, we already, I think, live in this tension, right? Just growing up with Christmas. Uh, maybe as kids, we didn't think about it. I did a lot, but maybe some some Christians of color maybe just tried to enjoy it and just didn't necessarily recognize that, gee, Santa Claus is always white. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jesus is always white in the nativity scenes, the movies, the tons and tons of Christmas movies that come on every year. Everybody in those Christmas movies are predominantly white. And so how does that make a young person, young Christian, or just a person in America feel in terms of, do I belong mm. here, right? Because Christmas, I think, is synonymous with what being an American is. It's one of the biggest holidays, as you said, starting in October, maybe even the summer. Yeah. I feel like it's all year Getting round in terms forward. of yep. uh, things. Things that you get to buy, right? Christmas trees, fake Christmas trees, ornaments. And also just, I think, representation is so important because research shows that for especially young people, there's this great study of young black boys and girls and white boys and girls that showed that for each additional hour of television watched, the black boys and girls and the white girls, their self-esteems went down. Mm. The only group whose self-esteems went up were white boys. And so this is a public health, mental health wow. issue, right? When we are having our youth feeling either excluded or misrepresented and therefore their aspirations, their psychological health and, and how they feel about themselves is absolutely ha having a negative impact on them. And yet, you know, we we sit our children down in front of television and especially Christmas movies. Oh, my goodness. How wholesome. How wonderful. Right. But if they are not seeing themselves, what kind of damage are we doing? And if we are supposed to be an inclusive faith, what are we saying when we're saying the biggest kind of holiday of the faith? I mean, celebrated worldwide is we're being told that it's only for one type of person. It's whitewashed. Right? And that yeah. everybody else. <laughs> 
exactly whitewashed. And so that's why it's so important, I think, to talk about um, because there's already a lot of us that are living in the tension and we need to talk about it because this is a faith for, for no, That's such an important point. That study is really stunning that this is not a neutral thing that not seeing yourself represented, especially in something that becomes so ubiquitous for about like a quarter of the year, it actually has detrimental effects on mental health and sort of how you view yourself. So that's a really important point I think you bring up. Also, for me, it I, I, I can imagine that, well, first of all, I'm starting from the premise that diversity is a good thing. <laughs> that racial and ethnic representation in all sectors of life lifts all boats, if you will. And I say that because I think there are a lot of people who sort of subconsciously don't think that's the case, don't agree with that. They look at more racial and ethnic uh, representation and diversity, especially in things like Christmas, which have this these really deep nostalgic historical roots in people's lives. I think they look at broadening the scope, broadening the lens of representation as a net negative. And again, I don't think they'd say that explicitly, but perhaps folks have heard the expression, when you're used to privilege, equality feels like oppression. When you're used to privilege, equality feels like oppression. And the reality is for much of United States history, for much of the television and film industry, white people have held a privileged place in terms of representation, both on screen and off screen. They've been writers, they've been producers, and of course, they've been the actors on the screen. And now that the demographics of the nation are changing, now that the voices of other people are being heard, a lot of times through democratized communication like social media, uh, YouTube, things like that, there's greater representation, not where it should be, as we'll talk about, but there's greater representation. And so I can imagine there are some folks who feel like, well, white people are, are, are being crowded out. We're losing our place. All of this. So they look at it as negative. But what I want to say is that you don't lose anything. As a matter of fact, we all gain from greater representation. And it might take some getting used to. <laughs> if you are used to seeing white people on the screen, if you are used to thinking about Christmas, even on a subconscious level, as essentially coded U.S. American white, middle class, as we'll also talk about, then it's going to feel, there's going to be a period of adjustment. But that ain't bad. And as a matter of fact, there's a whole lot more richness and culture and things to learn as we include more and more people. So those are a couple of reasons why you and I think the series is important. But let's let's get a little personal, Nancy. You have some really strong memories and associations with Christmas. Can you tell us a little bit about your story as well as how that's woven into the Christmas culture and, and how you've come to think about it even as you've grown up into an adult? Yeah, I think I I came here when I was five years old from Taiwan, and I didn't know anything about this country, and so I watched a lot of TV. <laughs> well, I, I actually I did think that the country was white from what Hollywood was exporting to other other countries, so that I thought. And then when I came to Long Beach, California, I realized hey, there are a lot of people that aren't white here. There's even some people that look like me. And so I think that was probably the first time I was like, oh, 
what I saw on TV doesn't match what is in reality. But then I think when Christmas came around, you know, even in schools, you're all your crafts, all the music, everything is geared towards celebrating Christmas, right? Again, this is part of Americana. This isn't just part of the Christian faith. This is what being an American is. And so I was really excited because I was also watching movies like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you know, that claymation, because that was, was on TV. And I learned about Santa Claus and I thought, oh my gosh, I think I saw him as this benevolent white person that kind of represented acceptance, right? Because he literally helped Rudolph like get accepted and I was bullied for not speaking English. And so I really related to the reindeer with the red nose and uh, and the fact that Santa, you know, helped him feel good and then also gave gifts to to deserving children, right? And and I thought, that's, that's me, I am deserving. <laughs> so I remember cutting out from notebook paper paper stockings and taping them on the wall next to the door. We didn't have a fireplace. And I wrote Nancy in English. That was probably, you know, one of the first like English words I was able to write or had to learn. And then wrote, I think dad, maybe on the other one, I had a single father and I taped it up. And then the next morning I came, you know, and I, I didn't have stairs or anything. It was just a one story house. I was going to say, come down the stairs. I don't know. I think that's from television, right? right? right. Of Kids course. running down the stairs. To see the Christmas <laughs> tree houses. and the presents. That's right. Two story houses. Right. The whole idea of a two story house with a fireplace, very, very much middle, upper middle class, right? These ideas. And so I, I walked over the, the, the paper stockings had fallen to the floor because I guess my scotch tape didn't hold and it was just flat. And I stuck my fingers in there just to make sure. And, and then I opened the door thinking, okay, maybe Santa's just standing outside, you know, (laughs) and nothing. Right. And I was so sad, but I didn't blame my dad because I think I thought, you know, I, I dreamed of this American Santa almost as a father figure, mm. right? My father, when I immigrated, I actually didn't know him at all. I was raised by my grandparents. I came when I was five. He was pretty, basically a stranger to me. And so, and then it's this very strange land. And so being part of this, this new country, I really wanted Santa to be real, mm. right? And, and the fact that he wasn't, and I didn't blame my dad though, because I didn't expect him to know. How's he supposed to know he's supposed to play Santa, mm. right? He's a single dad, he's an immigrant. And, and I don't even think I got really Christmas gifts until I was much older. That was my very first Christmas memory. Very bittersweet. Yeah. And, and the thing is, what's really funny, though, is my, the fact that I knew that he wasn't real because I was so good. Oh, <laughs> I was, I just knew it was like, it was like a, like a scientific method deduction. I was like, if he gives good, ch- you know, gifts to good children and I'm really good then he's not real because he would have given me oh, a gift if he was real. You followed all the rules. You did all the good kid stuff. You weren't on the naughty list. I I was like better than good. <laughs> I was like, I didn't speak English. I was yelled at for not speaking English. And then I became fluent in like one year. Wow. And then I became top of my class the next yeah. year. And I thought, and I didn't complain to my dad. I was like, I had to stay home by myself. I didn't tell anybody. I kept secrets. I was great. Man. I was like model immigrant child. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Now, did you grow up Christian? So you, you were celebrating the holiday or was it more of a cultural mm-hmm. thing? No, no, I didn't grow up Christian. Okay. No one in my, fam- in my family of origin is Christian. Yeah. And so- 
Yeah, I, I, that for me, then it was literally just the cultural kind of assimilation, right, of becoming an American, of uh, wanting to fit in, wanting to celebrate Christmas the way I'd seen it celebrated on TV. I was watching things like Silver Spoon, where they had the beautiful embroidered stockings with names oh, wow. and everything. With, I mean, Silver Spoon's yeah. literally like rich child. He had a train, right? He had a train. That, that he could ride on. Yeah, like it's literally child. in the title. Yes. Born with a silver spoon in his mouth, for sure. <laughs> But that was like, I, I watched it like National Geographic or something. I was like, this is America. <laughs> this is this is what being an American means. If you're in the 1%. <laughs> to be a rich white boy. Right, right. <laughs> to be a rich white boy. That's the American dream, to be a rich white boy with your own personal train that you could ride around. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, so I was, I wanted that, right? Because that is, the, the, the American sitcom is very, very seductive. Mm. Right. I mean, from the 50s, I mean, it, it taught people what it meant to be American, it reinforced gender roles, it reinforced, obviously, it policed racial lines. And then, you know, there were there were I think there were things like the Jeffersons, there were things that, were, that came up that challenged those. Right. As as the United States became more, I mean, when the civil rights was happening, television followed suit. And I think that, you know, television is is very much a socializing agent, mm -hmm. even if we just see it as entertainment. It does affect the way, especially there's this contact theory that if you don't know anybody of a certain group in real life, like if I didn't know any Asians or, or queer folk, like I am getting that information about them through television, mm. right? Or through, you know, media, news media, whatever it is that you can't help it because that you see them and you think you know them, that's right? right? And so that's why that's why media is so powerful, so so powerful. But it could also be for good. There's a new study from Define American that's coming out in December about immigrant representations, and they actually did an audience study that showed that audiences that watched shows like Never Have I Ever, like shows that have positive complex representations of immigrants that they actually will have more positive feelings and understandings of immigrants. And so I think that that just shows that there are, if we have positive, if we have inclusive Christmas movies, right, that show people that look like you and me, you know, celebrating Christmas, that will help broaden, I think, what people think of as Americans, as Christians, as whatever, you know, as part of the landscape, that these are... It, that actually, like you said, that actually helps us to be able to get along better, understand each other more. That is what we want, is it not, in a multicultural society? Right. Not this kind of like inclusion means replacement, mm. right? It, it isn't a zero-sum game. In fact, most Christmas movies are still white. Very much so. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's why we're dreaming of yes. a not-white Christmas. Um <laughs> Have you heard about the new monthly book club from InterVarsity Press? IVP Book Drop is the perfect club for readers who want to grow spiritually, hear from diverse voices, and start powerful conversations on today's most important cultural topics. Plus, it's only $9.99 each month. When you join IVP Book Drop, you'll receive our best-selling title, Reading While Black by Issa Macaulay, as your very first book. And after that, you'll continue to receive one curated book a month for just $9.99. As a listener of the Disruptors podcast, you already know many of the diverse authors featured like Issa Macaulay, and you'll meet even more authors like them each month. 
IBP Book Drop is the easiest and most affordable way to receive the latest IBP books from your favorite authors. To learn more and join today for only $9.99, visit ivpress.com slash disrupt22. That's ivpress.com slash d-i-s-r-u-p-t-22. Save big on books worth talking about by signing up for IVP Book Drop today. That, I mean, you just perfectly illustrated the importance of a series like this. Like, your story coming from Taiwan when you were five, learning about American culture through pop culture generally, but also through the particular sort of Christmas season and pop culture complex around Christmas, that is precisely why we need to think consciously about what we're representing and how we're representing it. I had a sort of quintessential American Christmas connotation. We were a family of five, two parents, three kids, middle-class existence. My parents had, in many ways, achieved the American dream. They had both grown up in poverty, uh, but worked themselves up through a college education. They both got professional jobs. My mom was a teacher for over 30 years. My dad was sort of middle management in a pharmaceutical corporation. They both had pensions. You know, they, they had the house in the suburbs. It was everything that sort of people aspire to achieve. In our case, the only issue was we weren't the quintessential American family because we weren't white. <laughs> so being Black, all of that in this culture and given our history in this nation, all of it came with an asterisk. And so as I recall Christmas, it was a lot of positive memories, you know, waking up early with my brother and sister, rushing out to see the presents under the tree, uh, staying in our pajamas and bathrobes for, for most of the day, eating good food. It was very family time. I also remember the cold. I grew up in the Chicagoland area. We got sort of the worst parts of winter. It was gray, it was cold, and it was seldom snowy. So uh, I remember that as well. But as I got older, all of these issues of representation sort of came to the fore. And I can sort of remember all of the Christmas stuff from childhood being whitewashed, and particularly movies, right? Like you think of something like Miracle on 34th Street, the old black and white one, which is a classic for a lot of people. And it is very, very white, very Americana, you know, sort of stereotypical white middle American kind of thing. And what does that do to a young person of color watching, trying to engage in the holiday season? Of course, there's other films a little bit more recent, although now it's decades old. The classic one for a lot of people is A Christmas Story, right? Red Rider, Red Rider, BB gun, you'll shoot your eye out. All of that stuff. Very, very white. Although there was some very astounding racial tropes now as we look back. So tell us about A Christmas Story. Like help us to kind of run back the tape and view it again 
through different lenses. How would you sort of describe just this movie as an example uh, in terms of racial representation? Yeah, I think of A Christmas Story, it's more of a modern classic, right? And it reminds me, it's like a predecessor to Home Alone, mm. right? Where a young white boy and there's some mischief. Christmas doesn't go exactly how we imagine it to. And they end up, I think, you know, not being able to have a traditional meal and they go to a Chinese restaurant. And I think I was watching this and I was laughing and I thought it was funny. And then <laughs> the Chinese restaurant, they have these... Waiters who are singing with the stereotype, like, you know, instead of fa-la-la-la-la, they're singing fa-ra-ra-ra-ra, and, and they're comic uh, buffoonery, mm. right? People are, are supposed to laugh at them. And so the idea that Chinese people are working during Christmas, which is true, a lot of immigrants have to work during Christmas, but then this idea that Chinese people can't celebrate Christmas because they're so far from the Christian Western uh, culture that they're like, you know, the East is East and the West is West and then, then twain shall never mm-hmm. meet, right? The, the Rudyard Kipling poem that I think still, you know, pervades to this day with COVID and anti-Asian racism and the whole go back to your country, even if we've been here since, you know, the founding of the country or, you know, the building of this country in terms of railroads and farmlands and everything. And so having that movie have that representation was so disturbing, right? It's it's like no one wants to be laughed at and on top mm. of that scene as the opposite of what Christmas is. Like a like a to- like a what is it? Like a token prize. Like we couldn't make Christmas happen at home. So we've got to go to the Chinese restaurant, mm. right? And and it feels just oh it's such a punch in the gut in terms of watching a, a fun Christmas movie and then feeling like immediately, oh I'm the outsider. Were you here. always aware of that? Like growing up and watching the film or does that come later when you're sort of studying these things? I think when I was young, watch when I saw things like that, I disassociated myself with that. So I was aware because mm. I was like, that's not mm. me. You know, that's not who I am. That's just a character. That's a that's an imaginary character that somebody else thought of. That's not who I am. And so I just disassociated. I don't know if I thought it that critically, yeah. but I just disassociated myself, right? And, and that's part of the self-esteem. If you can't even confront like who you are and this aspiration of, I, I want to identify with the young white boy instead, even though I couldn't completely, right? But it's kind of like, then you start to white worship, mm. right? Because everything beautiful, everything good, everything perfect is white, especially in these Christmas movies, right? And even if they are kind of anti-heroes, like, especially like, you know, the Home Alone kid, he's fun. He's like what what uh, a little boy who has all the agency and power in the world can do on right. Christmas. Like, you still aspire to that, right? And so it is, it's really hard, I think, for kids of color to, to navigate, especially when, yeah, when you see negative representations of yourself and you have to disassociate and you have to try to identify with something that you're not. And then you become, you have to deny yourself in order to want to be somebody else, which can't happen in our society. And yet we know that we can see that there are so many kind of internalized racism, internalized sexism that people have to recover from if they want to actually, you know, be truly themselves. When you said white worship, boy, uh, that is so real. And you're talking about the labor, even if it's it's not happening sort of at the front of your mind, it's happening at the back of the mind. 
the labor to distance yourself from negative stereotypes and caricatures like at the Chinese restaurant in A Christmas Story. Like that's more work. And imagine a white person watching A Christmas Story. They don't have to do any of that labor. They see themselves represented, as you said, in complex ways or at least, you know, humorous and and, and more variety of ways. But for a black person like me, he's like, well, you know, this ain't this ain't my story, but it's entertaining. And I'll admit laughing at the 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 scene in the Chinese restaurant as a kid and growing up. I didn't know any different or better. It's coded for you to laugh. It's meant for you to right. laugh. And actually accents, accents in Hollywood have been synonymous with humor, even mm. though an accented person just means they speak more than one language. But we have as a society, as Hollywood, have associated so much buffoonery with accents. Like someone with an accent speaks more than one language. They're not stupid, right? But that is what we're we're coded to to laugh at. We assume that they they don't know stuff, which is the opposite right. really, of someone who speaks yeah. with an accent. And what a great point you bring up because the United States and people who live here, we really expect our nation, our customs, our culture to be the center of the globe. So it's that people have to accommodate what is normal and standard in the United States, including language, right? And so this is where English speakers from the United States go to other countries and they're expecting or demanding or wanting people in these other countries to speak English. And there's so few, even just thinking of presidents or political officials, right? We've got folks who are heads of state in other nations who speak multiple languages. And then our folks, you know, tend not to. That's because of this sort of cultural gravitational pull around the United States as the wealthiest, you know, strongest military, all of that that comes with it. But it shows up even in sort of the Christmas season where, like you say, accents are associated with with comedy or buffoonery. And instead of saying, oh, wow, these folks are multilingual, they can switch, they can code switch, and all of those kinds of things. And I'll also say how unique this conversation can be, because there was a study a couple of years ago, and I found it in the Washington Post, that said, uh, almost none of my friends are Black. And they showed that in a 100-friend scenario, you know, for for white people, one of those friends would be Black in a 100-friend scenario. For, for Black people, it showed eight of our friends would be white, which is a lot, right? Like, it, it's not the majority, clearly, but eight different people as opposed to one person is a, is a big difference. But when it came to Black people having uh, friends of Asian descent, it said in a 100-friend scenario, we would have zero. <laughs> So this is a unique conversation. This is a dialogue between races and cultures that needs to happen more often. And one of the re- one of the many reasons I'm excited to talk to you, we get that interaction. Let's look at some some other pop culture Christmas artifacts, if you will, cultural artifacts. Another movie you mentioned is Home Alone. And maybe we can mention some class dynamics at play in that film. What did you think of Home Alone? (laughs) 
Okay, first of all, I was I just saw I was on a retreat and you know sometimes when you're in a hotel room and you can just channel surf in ways that you can't, you know, <laughs> Definitely. If, you're just, if you just have streaming. I, I mean, we've cut the cord, so all I have are streaming services. So and Home Alone 2 came on. And I think both Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2, the parents sit in first class and the kids sit in coach. And I was okay. like, under what circumstances <laughs> that happened? I was like, I want that because that's a, that's exciting to be able to do that. I would be afraid to leave my children all the way I in mean, another cabin, yeah. but um, <laughs> but also just to be able to afford that. And 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 that that's the premise, right? That's how he gets lost because he he's he's separated from his parents who are sitting in first class. <laughs> so just that tiny detail about you know why he's left home alone is so interesting to me because. Uh, I, we, we just we just buy it, even though I would imagine most of the United States would not have that scenario. Not at even all. close. And then their, their their beautiful house and and all the money and all the all the hijinks. Actually, it's all because there's just a lot of stuff around, mm. right? And and the privilege, the privilege. I think you know, and also very kind of toxic masculinity, mm. right? In in that movie, I think even in in the representation of a boy, and then the the Joe Pesci, like these kind of very antagonists. I mean, it's very scary. The movie's like, it's like somewhere between like horror movie <laughs> and Christmas, right? <laughs> I think that that as, as that as a representation and then the kind of family coming together and being able to afford all the, all the stuff that they do says something about Christmas. I think most Christmas movies are, are, yeah, like you mentioned, are very much upper middle class. That is the fantasy, right? That you can afford the Christmas industrial complex. Mm -hmm. Which gets into the sort of consumeristic aspect of Christmas, right? Like it's, it's a religious holiday. It is about the birth of Jesus Christ in Christianity, the, the sort of central figure in, of course, there's the Trinity, but but this focuses on the birth of God the Son, but what it has become, as many people have talked about for years, is focused on the consumer goods and products. And a film like Home Alone is a classic, of course, but it really highlights and elevates the, the nature of class, of wealth in this holiday season, even the way that it is being portrayed now. So so for the past couple of years, there's been like, they call it Black Friday because they have all these sales that for retailers put their budget from the red, which is the danger zone to the black, which is we're, we're safe, we, we made our budget kind of a thing. So there's not only Black Friday now, there's like pre-Black Friday sales before Black Friday. <laughs> Why? So they can sell as many products as possible, which again highlights the consumer aspect. And so there's a sense in which if you not, if, if you sort of uncritically absorb the Christmas culture, the Christmas industrial complex, it, the presumption is that you have enough wealth to engage in the holiday through buying Christmas, buying Christmas gifts, through taking trips is, is what happened in Home Alone both times. The whole family's traveling, right? And they forget Kevin. Where's Kevin? Uh, well, not everybody had that, right? And then, like you said, the hijinks take place because there's all this stuff in the house. Yes. And I think the urgency. So Home Alone, the house is decorated, even if they're leaving on a trip, which is just, 
I'm like, I wouldn't decorate if I were going away. But anyway, that's Good just me. But, um, but I think the urgency and the, so the, the, like you said, Black Friday is also urgent because that's when you're supposed to start buying Christmas gifts, right? And if you don't, you know, then you're behind. It's this constant feeling of like, we need to create this amazing decorated house and have not just food, but elaborate presents and, if, and you know, and also music and nativity scenes. If, you know, if, if people celebrate Christmas with faith, just there's so much pressure. And I think all of that is very gendered labor falls on women almost predominantly uh, mothers who can't even really enjoy anything because they have to make the magic happen. And then for people who can't afford or don't know, like new immigrants, like that just, that kind of Christmas just never happened for me. I don't think, um, I don't think I had a real treat until I got married. (laughs) You know, like, I don't think I ever had a real Christmas tree. I think maybe there was a fake one that was around the house. Maybe I can't, and when I was growing up, I can't remember because I just, I never had that kind of Christmas. And and that has led to a lot of depression over the years. And I, I know that it's, just, you know, now, especially as a sociologist, I know it's just all like constructed, you know, but that that feeling, the I think the, the interwoven like family happiness, like your own, if you have a happy family, then you have the perfect Christmas. If you don't have the perfect Christmas, then there's something wrong with your family because somehow family has been caught up, even though this idea of Christmas as a family holiday, that wasn't always so, right? Mm. And and I think in the West, it really came out actually because of culture, right? Cultural representations of a Christmas story by Charles Dickens and the idea of the family coming together and, and having food and having celebration, having this Christmas festivities. And then I think there was a magazine of some British family standing around the Christmas tree. And then all of a sudden, you know, came over to America and people are like, that should be, you know, we want to aspire. Everyone wants to aspire to be like <laughs> the, the royalty of, you know, despite the colonial history, but this idea of wanting to aspiring to something perfect, mm-hmm. right. And rich, right. So when it was a mostly, and that wasn't a mostly white country, but you know, more white than it is now, even then it was like the poor families are aspiring to be mm-hmm. rich. Right. So this ideal, this holding this ideal of Christmas that very few people could actually actuate, right. Because they don't have the means to, and so I think that, you know, no, even knowing all the history and of course, Santa Claus being an invention, right, even though it's based loosely on St. Nicholas, who actually gave presents to poor children, right? So it's like <laughs> the kind of origins of even thinking about Jesus, right? Jesus and very, very humble beginnings, not at all like the Christmas scenes that we see now in terms of all the movies and all the, you know, all the stores, right? The, the kind of department stores, the huge Macy's Day Parade, all these kind of spectacle, right, that now we associate with Christmas. That's not the origins of any of the things that it's based on. Yes. We've we've strayed so far from that. I mean, really, the the department stores really did a great job (laughs) of making money off of this holiday, right? Absolutely. And that's another one of my memories is going downtown Chicago, the Miracle Mile, Macy's, not the parade, the the store where they would Mm. have these elaborate 
Christmas displays, which is all part of the branding or the rebranding of it or the, you know, sort of uncoupling of Christmas as a holiday season from Christmas as a religious holiday. And sort of the quintessential example in this first episode, we're basically talking about like how Christmas became white, (laughs) if you will. And Yes. Some of the became white and rich, white and rich, <laughs> and um, American. All of these things, mm. and one of the quintessential exa- examples is Santa Claus, who is portrayed as white, of course. And then you mentioned the nativity scene, which there's a lot of wood sculptures now, and there, now there's more sort of more ethnic, quote unquote, looking Jesus, but. For a long, long time, uh, particularly in the 20th century, the, the representations were of a, of a white, holy family, you know, Joseph and Mary and Jesus and the wise men, uh, even though that they didn't come along till after in, in the Bible. But all of that sort of lends and blends into this whitewashed Christmas season. As we're talking, Nancy, I, I think it will be helpful to sort of get a little bit of your perspective on how to watch these movies. You have, as a sociologist, as a scholar, as a very sort of person who's very conscious of the culture you consume, I think you have this lens and this grid of being able to view films or television or parts of our culture through a lens that attunes you to race. So I'm just wondering if you can give us some tips, some pointers, a framework. How do we watch movies in a more conscious way, in a more deliberate way that pays attention to these issues that we're bringing up? So I'm not going to be that downer where you have to watch everything critically and never enjoy anything. (laughs) I think it's possible to both enjoy a Christmas movie and be able to tease out the important things so that you're not watching it unfiltered. Mm. So you're not watching it in a way that could be damaging to you, especially if you have children in the house and you're watching together. It's really important, I think, to teach them how to read films while still enjoying it, right? I think this is the the, the complex uh, balance of, especially something like Christmas, where I still enjoy, I still get depressed, and I still consume. I mean, all, all these things are true. We are complex creatures. We are contradictory sometimes. And, and that is how God made us, mm-hmm. right? So I think that Jamar and I, as we continue in this series, we are going to actually talk about both uh, Christmas movies with uh, actual people of color in them <laughs> in the recent, mostly in the right. recent years. Um, but but also, but even those movies, we will actually start to break down. So I think it's important to see who are the protagonists in the movie, right? Who are the protagonists and who are the side characters? And often, if the Christmas movies have any people of color, traditionally they have been the side characters, the best friend or the shop owner or, you know. <laughs> the wise guy. Yes. Yes, yes. So the one person that is there to prop up the main protagonist. And you can still enjoy the story. The story can be very enjoyable, wholesome, or, you know, just totally cheesy, which a lot of the modern Christmas movies are. And and in the movies where you don't see yourself at all, I think it's important to point out it to either to yourself or to young children or even to, uh, you know, someone you're dating and you're on a date and you're watching, just to point it out, I think, so that you can... Be aware, even if it's just a one thing like, hey, 
no people of color in this Christmas movie. <laughs> and you laugh about it and you move on. But but to be aware, I think, is the first step in not feeling like psychologically potentially damaged for the long run, where you're just so used to being excluded that you don't even think about it anymore. And that does have, I think, an effect over time. I don't know if anyone remembers there was a doll study of Black children. Gosh, it was what, in the, in the 60s or 70s? It, and it showed that even Black children, when given a Black doll or a white doll, they choose the white doll, right? This goes back to the white worshiping um, issue. I mean, it's much better today. We have Black Panther. We have, you know, we actually have superheroes of color, but still they are in the minority. And so if we, if you just go on the websites of Hallmark or there's the Great American channel now, that's pretty much another Hallmark. If you look at the Christmas movies, you can see that they're still predominantly white. Big time. You know, very, very much so. And then as you say, you know, there, there may be people of color, and increasingly there are, but are they the principals? Are they the protagonists? Are they the ones who are falling in love? Are they the ones who are driving the story? Or are they the comic relief, the sidekick, the best friend, right? So that's important. Not just that the visual is there, because I think increasingly it is. Folks are sort of catching on to that, but that's not the end of the story. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, beyond representation, how people are being represented. Because there may be people of color on screen, but they're not really doing justice to the richness of of the person. Or their race or ethnicity may not even be mentioned, might be incidental, might have nothing to do, might not even be mentioned in the story. So are there better and worse ways? I mean, there are, but what are better and worse ways of having that representation on screen? Oh, goodness. Uh, you and I need to write a Christmas movie because I don't know <laughs> if I've seen the perfect one. I've noticed that we're in an era where people want to include people of color, right? Uh, stories are being right. told, but they're like spice. Right. <laughs> they're like spice added to a dish, right? Where Little flavor. The main course... <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, um, so right. So right now, the Lindsay Lohan movie is out. I'll just say that as an example. It's on Netflix. I think it's called Falling for Christmas, and it's a preposterous story where she, you know, she's she knocks her head. She forgets that she's an heiress. She goes to you know uh, a, a little be almost Airbnb yeah. lodge with a, with a, another white blonde dude. But her boyfriend, her fiance, prior to her losing her memory, is a mixed race Asian Brit. It seems Noticed. like he yes. speaks with a British yeah. accent. Um, we don't know anything about his background. He's kind of silly, and I, I actually think the actor does a very good job. He's hilarious. And then, so he's that. So he's the one she doesn't end up with, right? And she goes, she ends up with the blonde dude from which is not, Which is not a spoiler. Like, these movies all follow the same general plot. Uh, sorry if you haven't seen it. But oh, yeah. No, no, no. I'm oh, sorry. That's not, a, it's not a spoiler. You, you, they're on the cover. Whoever's on the cover, whoever's the one that's on, you know, the Netflix uh, promotional poster are the ones that are going to end up together. Yeah. Everyone knows this if you watch any kind of Christmas rom-com, which is, by the way, the predominant dominant genre now christmas wild. movies yes we'll get into that in another yes, episode have, but yeah yes oh my yes 
The Christmas rom-com is the Christmas movie of the day. And then it turns out that the Glee guy, <laughs> he his 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 mother-in-law and his daughter, he's a widower, are Latino. Yeah. And so, yeah, and so, and then the mayor of their little town is black. And so literally every single side character is a person of color. And it's so fascinating to me. I feel like this is where we are now. Right. <laughs> this is where we are right. now, right? And so not that there aren't Christmas movies with people of color, but they are very, you can count them on one hand um, each season. But the ones that are, yeah, the ones that, are, I mean, Lindsay Lohan, her comeback mm-hmm, potentially, mm-hmm. right? And just, I just noticed, yeah. And I just thought it was so interesting that everybody surrounding them are colored. And people color. <laughs> I, I watched that 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 movie the other day, and I I, I thought in particular about the uh, Latina mother-in-law and daughter, and I'm like, what we're dealing with is primarily like really wealthy white people, the kind of folks who can go to ski lodges and resorts, right? And I'm like. What are their politics? Because in the real world, if they're that wealthy, they probably are not very big fans of immigration or anything like that. And so those are the kind of thoughts that kind of crowd in when you do this work a lot around racial justice. <laughs> but again, it was still enjoyable. It's a it's a it's candy. It's Christmas candy cane kind of movie. It's not really trying to make a big point of it. But it's a great example of a movie that has diverse representation. But number one, they're not the main characters. They're not the principals, really. And number two, the fact that they are of a different race or ethnicity doesn't ever really come into play. I mean, it's not a thing. It's just there, which in most of the Christmas movies and films that I've seen, even in recent times, that's the case, unless it's specifically a a film centered around race or ethnicity, like some of the Christmas films with an all-Black cast, that are, then the sort of culture, what does Black Christmas look like, you know, comes into play. But most of the time, it's just that representation on screen. And so I think this conversation hopefully is helping us to, you know, that's progress, but not to be satisfied with that, that there are much more complex stories to tell, much more nuance uh, to express on screen. And even as we enjoy these things, like you said, we can note them, nobody of color or they're all sidekicks or whatever, still enjoy it, but be conscious and aware of it. Yeah. They paint these racial utopias, right? And I think that that's, that's something to really, I think, note. Not that we want like racial strife (laughs) in these movies, (laughs) but I think that, you know, we'll, we'll be, we'll be talking about some of the movies I think that actually do point out some things that I think are interesting, whether through, like you said, like maybe cultural authenticity, right? That which would be cool to show how maybe in certain cultures they celebrate Christmas slightly differently. But here in the white centered movies with a few people of color, it's racial utopia most of the time, which- No conflict. Maybe that is better. It's better than all white Christmas, (laughs) right? But it's still, I think it's like, I think we're at a point and I hope that, you know, uh, audiences when they were tuning in for this mini series, you'll see that we are going deeper, right? We're going to go deeper than just, yay, people of color are finally in. (laughs) That's just the beginning. It's just going to be- 
it's just the beginning and it's going to be so much fun, I think, to be able to do this with you, Jamar. And I hope that folks will just be able to enjoy Christmas in a more complex way with us. That's right. So this is just the beginning, folks. We have three more episodes. We're going to get down into some of the movies that you know and love, some of the ones that you may be introduced to for the first time. And we'll be previewing movies that no one has seen yet. Jamar and I actually, for you, in your in your place, have watched Hallmark movies <laughs> featuring, featuring families of color that we want you to know about. It'll be great. And we're going to continue learning how to be sort of uh, conscious consumers and still enjoy the genre and the Christmas season. And we want you to dream together with us of a not white Christmas. We'll see you next time.